Hey, everybody, this is Fran Frischella, and welcome to World of Basketball, the podcast that shrinks the basketball globe for you and takes you really to every corner of uh, the basketball world. We've covered six continents, and uh, we talk NBA, college, international basketball with players, coaches, executives, you name it, we've had them on. We're into season two already of World of Basketball, and today, uh, we've got an incredible guest and, a, and, an, and an incredible story as well. Dan Grunfeld, uh, who was an outstanding player at Stanford, um, who also played eight professional seasons in Europe and is the son of former NBA player, college All-American and NBA executive Ernie Grunfeld, has written an amazing new book called By the Grace of the Game. And his family story basically transcends basketball it's a it's a it's a memoir it's a history lesson there's plenty of basketball but it's a story about a family who survived the holocaust and for many of our younger listeners you may not know or you've heard of the holocaust you don't know what it was um it was basically a a human tragedy in history surrounding uh or part of world war ii and Dan Grunfeld has written this great new book called By the Grace of the Game. He gets into the family story, his dad's story, which is amazing, his own basketball story. And we weave in some incredible, incredible um, uh, things. Uh, there's, there's, there's sorrow, there's, there's hurt, there's tragedy, there's joy, there's hope. And uh, I would advise you, I have not read the book. I'm going to get my copy this week because it's just come out this week. But I've known the Grunfeld family for a long time. And I think you will really enjoy and be moved by the next 55 minutes or so. So without further ado, my great conversation with former Stanford Cardinal and son of NBA executive and college All-American at Tennessee, longtime NBA player, Dan Grunfeld. Enjoy this podcast. We have a, a very special guest on World of Basketball this week. Uh, this podcast is going to transcend basketball, I guarantee you, and uh, you'll be riveted, I, I promise you. Um, Dan Grunfeld uh, had a terrific basketball career at Stanford. He played overseas. Um, you may know the name Grunfeld because his dad, Ernie, um, was an outstanding high school college player, NBA player, a great NBA executive. Um, but this book kind of transcends both Dan and his dad. And Dan, we're going to get into that. I just, I just want to uh, tell you, first of all, uh, congratulations on, uh, on, write, on writing this book. Say, say, tell, tell everybody the name of the book and uh, where, where they yeah. can get it, first of all. Absolutely. Fran, thanks so much for having me. So the book is called By the Grace of the Game, um, and it's available anywhere books are sold. Amazon, you know, we're supporting local bookstores. So anywhere you get your books, you can get By the Grace of the Game. I love it. All right, we're going to mention that throughout this, uh, throughout the podcast. Um, this book really wouldn't be possible without your dad being a basketball player. But quite frankly, this book wouldn't be possible without your grandmother and grandfather and your relatives. Um, describe to people what this book is about. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you know, my dad is very well known in basketball, had an amazing high school, college career, was a good NBA player and spent so many years in his executive. So people know about him, but 
they don't know that he's the only player in NBA history whose parents survived the Holocaust. And yeah. that's my grandparents. And so my grandmother in particular has a very big Holocaust survival story. Uh, you'll be happy to know she's 96 years old. She lives 25 minutes away from me and my wife in the Bay Area. She's just the greatest person in the world. Uh, she came to every home game I played at Stanford. <laughs> we'll, wow. we'll get into that a little bit. So she, yeah. she's just, she's, uh, she's really, I, I tell you, she's my hero, but she's also a hero. You know, she survived the war and she risked her life to save others. And so, you know, I always had a sense of what basketball had done for my family and how big that story is. And so yeah. it took me more than five years to tell it, but you know, the, the book is out now. So it's, uh, it's really exciting. It's awesome. You know, the, all of us, I majored in history at Brooklyn College. We all know the term Holocaust. Many of us, especially Americans, we don't really know what the Holocaust was. Explain, explain to people, before. we're going to talk basketball, man, but this is bigger than basketball, as you know. Um, explain to people what the, what the Holocaust was and how your, your grandmother, your grandfather, your relatives back in, I guess, Rom Romania, Hungary, the border there. The, That's right. She grew, up, she grew up in a rural village. Explain to people about the Holocaust. You can't say it. You can't do it in two minutes, but give us a capsule of what that was and how your family was affected by it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Holocaust is essentially the, the, the greatest mass genocide in, in human history that we're aware of. I mean, six million Jews murdered, you know, by Nazi Germany and uh, millions more. So I think in total, there's 11 million people killed in the Holocaust, but primarily uh, Jews. And, you know, my my family, you know, Orthodox Jews from Transylvania. So on the border of Romania and Hungary. Right. And so, uh, you know, my grandmother happened to be visiting a sister in Budapest when the Nazis invaded. And so the rest of her family was sent to Auschwitz, you know, which was kind of the most notorious uh, death camp. And right. so my grandma lost both parents and five siblings uh, in the Holocaust. And my grandfather lost everyone. And so, you know, for my dad, you know, he grew up, he never had any grandparents because they were they were all killed in, in the Holocaust. And so, right. yeah, it's, it's an incredible tragedy. And, you know, we have to tell the stories and we have to remember it so it doesn't happen again. You wrote an article. I remember reading an article like three years ago, three or four years ago, because uh, I was I, I was curious. I, I Googled Dan Grunfeld and, you know, Stanford basketball comes up, other things. But you wrote an article for the Jerusalem Post about Americans mm -hmm. never forgetting the Holocaust. One thing not to forget, but it's another thing to remember. Were you already in the midst of writing the book? I was, I, I was writing, I was doing research and it was in the early stages. So, uh, you know, I wrote that article because there was some data that came out that an alarming percentage of millennials have never heard of the Holocaust. They can't, right. like to your point, they can't describe it. They don't know how many people were lost. And, you know, it seems so, it seems like an abstraction in history because you can't even get your minds around the, the idea of 6 million Jewish people being murdered and millions more. But yeah. it I tell people it wasn't that long ago and it wasn't that far away. You know, my grandma was there, you know, yeah. and, and her loved ones were killed, you know. So for all those reasons, we need to educate. We need to tell the stories. It's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about this book. You know, there's a lot of basketball. There's a lot of fun and funny stuff. But there's yeah. a lot of really serious themes that like as as humans, we, we need to remember and we need to kind of transmit this history. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was your inspiration when like, ultimately you did? And by the way, you were, you know, you, you played basketball at Stanford. You, I believe you got your MBA there. I did. And you, you know, you, you had an MBA, you had a, you had an MBA career. You were, you know, you were NBA training camps, you played overseas, but I remember when you got, when you were done playing, you were writing basketball stuff. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, not, yeah. you know, and, you, yeah. And, and actually when I was playing, I, I had contributing uh, writing positions to several websites, SB nation. I wrote a little right. sports yeah. illustrated Huffington post. And I've always loved to write and storytell. And my parents could tell you when I was a young kid, people knew me as a basketball player because I was so into it, but I would come home from practice and I would write stories and I would write poems. And I just always loved to write and storytell. And so when you decided to start to gather the research, think about writing the book, you've already, you had some experience. Ultimately, what was the inspiration for writing the book? It starts with my grandma, you know, just understanding what she went through, what she overcame and my dad as well. I mean, they both, and we'll get a little bit more into the story of what my, you know, my dad coming to America, some things yeah. that happened to him as well, but they both went through hell so I could have the, the life I do and the opportunities I do. You know, that's what we want for our kids and our grandkids to have it better, you know, but I just always had this great sense of this perseverance and, and also what the game of basketball had done for our family, you know, so uh, yeah. because of all those factors and because of how much I love to write this, you know, my dream used to be to play in the NBA. This became my dream to tell this wow. story. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. It, 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 it's, it's hit. I, I have not read the book. I can't wait to read it. So I'm, I'm, my, my questions are going to be at ones of curiosity. Yeah. Uh, but I know enough about you, your family, and, and the, the journey that I, I'm so excited to ask you. Your dad grew up in the same era I did in New York City. And we, you know, he played public school basketball. He was a great player. And we all grew up back then in the 70s on the schoolyards of Brooklyn and Queens and Manhattan, asphalt, no nets, metal backboards. Yeah. Your dad comes to America with his mom and dad. He's eight years old, I think, when he gets here. He starts playing basketball in the neighborhood in Queens. I relate to that, but I don't relate to somebody who didn't speak English and really didn't know anybody when he got here. Explain how basketball had the the initial impact on your family. Yeah, and, and there's another part to that story. So my dad came to America. He was a week away from turning nine years old when they got here. Like you said, didn't speak a word of English, had never touched a basketball. So it was my dad, his parents, and his older brother. So my dad's older brother was nine years older than him. And my dad called him something in Hungarian because that's their native language, which translated yeah. to English means my king. That's how much he revered his brother. And so, you know, my family, after surviving the Holocaust, after fleeing communism, they came to America and had a chance at a, at a life here. And my yeah. uncle was diagnosed with leukemia uh, and he passed right. away within a year. And so for my family, that's one of the big, the biggest tragedy, you know, to lose a son for my dad, to lose a brother. And so he went, he did what all the kids in New York City were doing, as you know, friend, he went to the playground, he went yeah. to the park. And what do you do at the park? You play hoops, you know? And so he yeah. wanted to make friends and learn English and really heal from that loss. And basketball just kind of came into his life and when he was least expecting it. I wonder, you know, I used to go to the park when I was a kid. I was a junkie, play six, seven hours a day in the summer. It was almost a mental release for me. Mm -hmm. I could be by myself. I could meditate. I'm sure you've done it in a gym by yourself many, many, many times. Do you think, do you think just him, your dad going out and playing basketball, was that some sort of mental, um, uh, was that a solve, if you, a solve, if you yeah. will, for for losing? And not only for because he didn't really know about the Holocaust. I mean, he knew about it, but he didn't live it like he did living his brother's passing. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, it was cathartic. It was healing in many ways, and I think it would have been that anyway because you have a social circle, you have friends, and you just say, "I just go to the park." But he made friends, you know. 
Yeah. But the fact that he was so good so quickly, and you yeah. know, Fran, like my dad was a was a good, solid NBA player. He was yeah. a phenomenon in high school. Yes, and, he was. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you a funny story. And so I, you know, I talk a lot in my book about privilege because I grew up different. When I was born, my dad was a player for the Knicks. He was the general manager of the Knicks. So my mom was driving me to every single game since I was in second grade. My dad's working with me in my driveway. My sister's supporting me. For my dad, my grandparents never saw him play basketball until he was a junior in high school. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and Freddie, you remember Erwin Iser, coach of Forestals? Yes, yeah. coach. So Erwin was my dad's high school coach. And yes. he called my grandparents at their fabric store one day and he said, Mr. and Mrs. Grunfeld, you have to see your son play basketball. Because for my grandparents who were immigrants who were, you know, working six, seven days a week, basketball was just something my dad did, you know, in his spare time. Yeah. And th they closed their store early, which is something they'd never do because the games were at 4 p.m. They got right. to the gym a little late. And uh, when they got to the door, the usher said, the gym's closed. You know, there's no room. And so, uh, and my, my grandparents didn't speak English very well. My grandfather tried to say, we're guests of coach. We're parents of flair. And said, I'm right. sorry, we can't let you in. And my grandma said, our son is Ernie Grunfeld. And the usher's yeah. eyes lit up. He's like, why, why did you say so? You know, he opened the That's door. And, and, and when they got in the gym, you know, my grandfather looked around and he nudged my grandma. And he said, hey, if he's so good, why isn't he on the court? And my grandma said, look right there. That's Ernie. He was standing right in the middle of the court, but my grandfather literally couldn't recognize him Wow! because he had, he had transformed, you know, really yeah. like here was like an at-risk youth from Romania who lost his brother trying to find belonging and meaning. And all of a sudden now he's on the basketball court and yeah. it was a whole different thing. You know, my memory back then, Danny, cause I, I, I fell in love with basketball at that time, early seventies, you know, any of us mm -hmm. who grew up in that era, New York Knicks, Walt Frazier, Willis Reed. I'm sure your dad has the same stories. But my memory back then is every, and I was a little behind your your uh, your dad. But every high school in New York seemed to have Division One players. It didn't matter if it was New Utrecht or Edison or Forest Hills or Archbishop Malloy. <laughs> and your dad was a great player in a golden era of high school basketball. How much of that did you discover when you were researching this book? A lot. And, and I write a lot about it in the book. I, I would say New York City is almost a character in the book, you know, because <laughs> it embraced my family, you know, coming to America. But then also, you know, my dad watching the Knicks from the nosebleed section as an immigrant trying to learn English. And then years later, he's playing for the Knicks and running the Knicks, you know. So so for all those reasons, New York City, New York City basketball is, is such an in, integral part of the book. And it's funny you mentioned Walt Frazier and those teams. So, you know, my dad's favorite player was Dave DeBusher. Of you course. know, and, you know, played with such hard and was so scrappy. And if yeah. you go to uh, the University of Tennessee, you see my dad's number 22 jersey retired in the rafters there. He wore 22 because of DeBusher. That's, you know? I, yeah, that fits perfectly because that's how your dad played. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's funny, since the book came out, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and, you know, tell me how much they loved watching my dad play. And, the you know, listen, he was such a dominant scorer, right? He's still to this day the fifth leading scorer in the history of the SEC. Right. Yeah. So he was just a scoring machine. But people don't tell me about the, his scoring. They say you're, there was never a loose ball he didn't dive on. There's never a play he didn't hustle for. And I tell him, read the book. You know, you'll, you'll learn why. You know, you come to America with nothing. You lose your brother. Your parents survived the Holocaust. Like you're going to get yeah. after it. <laughs> you know, that's what he did. And, and in a small way, probably the, you know, the ethos of the schoolyard where if you don't win, you said that you, you don't play for the next uh, three or four games. My dad still says it. He says, hey, man. That we play three on three to seven and there'd be 50 to a hundred guys waiting for next. So yeah. if you back down, if you <laughs> gave an inch, if you didn't win, you'd be sitting for an hour or two. So like, it just wasn't, 
it wasn't possible. So that's why, you know, I think there's such like toughness and determination and grit from New York City. You know, there's a book in there. I, there's a book in my head about the lessons you learn on a playground. Uh, there really are. There's a, there's a, yeah, there's of course. A, you know what I mean? There's so many things that I, you learn how to, you know, when you're a young player and you're one of the younger guys at the, at the playground, you learn how to be a great teammate. You don't want the older guys mad at you. You want to help them win. You don't want to do anything you're not good at. You know, you learn how to win. You learn how to lose. It's uh, there's a book in there somewhere. You know, no, but, I agree. Like interpersonally, yeah. you you go through so much just you know figuring it out on the playground. Actually, I tell several stories about like playground life, and, and there's one story in particular where my dad, as, as a youngster, kind of just finding finding himself right. the game. Uh, they get into a fight, and an older kid slams his face into the concrete over and over again and so yeah. and that was like life at the park but when my dad then became kind of the the best player in the neighborhood and bigger he got his revenge on this guy you know and, it, yeah. and they, they had to figure it out down the road but it's uh you know but again he, he still to this day has some of his closest friends who are the guys he played with at the austin street playground in forest hills yeah, no, no question about it. I, I can absolutely relate to that. Uh, how much, you, you know, your, your dad went to Tennessee at a golden time. They really weren't a basketball power. They were in the SEC. Kentucky was the power. He went to Tennessee with a guy named Bernard King, Bernie yeah. and Ernie. We all know. And even if you don't remember that, if you're too young, you certainly have heard of Bernie and Bernie and Ernie show. What, what fascinated about you, you about what you learned about their their relationship and their success at Tennessee it's it's always been a part of my life you know hearing about the Ernie and Bernie show and Bernard and what's so cool is that they played together for the Knicks so Bernard lived up the street from us so I grew up with Bernard I still to this day call him Uncle B you know (laughs) and and it's cool we're talking about New York City you know, my dad was one of the most highly recruited players in the country from Queens. The next yeah. year, Bernard is one of the most highly recruited players in the country from Brooklyn. They go down south to Knoxville and they kind of become legends separately and together. And they form this amazing partnership. And Bernard, you know, he, he gave me a great quote of support on the back of the book. And he told me recently, he said, you know, come Danny boy. You know, he's a Danny boy. He's a, yeah. I, I never had a teammate who I, like your dad, who I played so well with. And that's remarkable, Frank, because you know, stars like to be stars, you know, and, and, and yeah, you rarely yeah. see two stars who make each other better, but that's right. what their partnership was like. And they were, they were like a supernova. I mean, they were on the cover of sports illustrated together. They, yeah. you know, the Vols were a great team. And so I'll tell you a, a really cool part about it. My dad and my mom were visiting you know, my family in the Bay area about a month ago. And my dad stepped out and he came back about a half hour later. I said that, you know, where were you? He said, Oh, be called. Yeah, it's just, you know that's and to this day they'll they'll call they'll talk every month. Bernard will just call him. My dad will just call him. So it just shows basketball as a connector. Yeah, you know, and it brings people together. Uh, they averaged like they did something absurd. Like did they both average twenty five points a game or something? Both of them one year averaged more than twenty five. I mean, can you imagine two college players <laughs> on the same team yeah. both averaging twenty five? I mean, and. uh their, yeah, AAU, were, their, their AAU coaches wouldn't let that happen, you know. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and their coach Ray Mears, he he kind of leaned in. He he supported. Yeah. He said, "Hey, we have two guys." And by the way, they had another great player, Mike Jackson, who you know yeah. he was an NBA player as well. And he, uh, but yeah, my dad and Bernard. I mean, they they just did something so special. And so, mm-hmm. and it was really fun researching, for, you know, this book, learning more, connecting with the community in Knoxville, learning about like what it was like when my dad was there. I mean, people have said to me, like, Dan, if you didn't, if you didn't experience Ernie G mania, you don't know. <laughs> you know, and I said, okay, I'll take your word for it. Man. I know it was cool, but 
I'll take your that, word for it. That's cool. One, one last thing about the Bernie and Bernie era. If I'm, I don't, and because again, I, I can't wait to read the book, but Tom Konchalski, who just passed away, we heard growing up and as I got into basketball that he kind of had a part in your dad and, and Bernie going to Tennessee. And I think I know the connection, but go, you go ahead and tell it. I'm so happy you asked that. So yeah. Tom Kinchowski, you know, regarded as one, probably the greatest high, evaluator of high school basketball talent in history, uh, is one of just my family's dearest friends, may he rest in peace. And so yes. when my dad's number 22, like I said, was retired at Tennessee, our family flew out. And really the only non-immediate family member that joined that party was Tom Kinchowski. Yeah. Uh, he was a dear friend of Stu Aberdeen, who was, a, who was an assistant at Tennessee. And, and so he was kind of, you know, he was a mentor and, and for my dad. And Tom yeah. saw my dad play basketball in sixth grade when he wow. did. He hardly even speak English, uh, yeah. spoke English. And another thing that is not that well known is Tom was one of my grandfather's best friends. They really? became they became very close. They would go to high school games around the city together. They would go to the garden together. And up until when Tom passed away, which, as you said, was recently. Yes. He, he'd call my grandmother several times a year. That's how close we are. Yeah. But he would every year on Yom Kippur, you know, which is a very important Jewish holiday, he would call my grandma. Yeah. And yeah. actually, as I was when Tom passed, my, you know, my grandma and I talking about him and, and I asked her, I said, was there did he ever miss? You know, did he ever not call you you know, on Yom Kippur? And she said, you know, Tom, Fran, she yeah. said, never, never. That's so Tom, man. I so we Tom. we've always known that I, I you know, as, as it, we I guess we would describe Tom as a bird dog in a way like. He, he saw your dad and he would tell, you know, some, and Stu Aberdeen had a connection because Stu was very friendly or worked with Tom's brother. Exactly. Who's from Steve, the Canada. Who, yeah, exactly. The long time key who's I think Steve just retired who coached like for a hundred years in Canada and Stu was that's Canadian. Right. And I, I, that, that's, a, that's an amazing connection. Um, how much of your, one of the things that, I think has to be a little bit painful. I went through getting fired with young, and with my young boys, your dad, and I'm skipping a little, but I'll come back. Your dad had an amazing career in basketball. Uh, anybody who's ever, anybody who loves basketball would say, I wish I could be Ernie Grunfeld for a week, you know, right. uh, Olympian NBA, longtime executive. You went through a tough time and I got to imagine it was tough in New York, probably highs and lows. And I went through it at St. John's. So I kind of can relate with my sons and you're worried about being fired. What was that like for you? Let's talk about this first. What was what were the highs like as the son of the guy that was running a great franchise with with some great years? And what were the lows like? You know, Fred, there's a, a chapter dedicated in, to this question in the book. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a very good question because you know how it is when you live the game and when, you, when, yeah. it, when it's what your family does and it's, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of joy and triumph. Yeah. And so back page I, I write about news. How about the back page yeah. of the post? Oh, all, all the time. And like <laughs> I, I write in the book, I used to wake up and my dad would be on the, on the back page of the post as a hero. But then two <laughs> weeks later... He, you know, he'd have like a clown nose on or yeah. something, you know, like, yeah. this is, this is what it's like. And so the highs are so high. I mean, yeah. it's awesome. Like when my dad was a GM of the Knicks, like we were going around, you know, doing a lot in New York city. Like when you, you know, when, when you run the Knicks and they're really good, like you're the toast of the town, you know? So we enjoyed that. 
but even more importantly, we enjoy the experience of like the game, you know, we, we love the game together. And so yeah. I would go to practices with my dad on the weekend. My whole family would go to the all-star game or the playoffs or the finals in Houston in 94, yeah. you know, when, when the Knicks beat the Pacers and the Eastern conference finals to go to the finals, like one of the best moments of my life, you know, it's yeah. uh, things like that are unbelievable. Being in the locker room with Patrick Ewing and John Starks and Charles Oakley, like, I, I mean, those are memories I always have, but, yeah, on the other side, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of criticism, not only from like the media, but also from just kids at school. And, you know, I think you probably saw this, friend. It makes it makes a family very close because yeah. you have to stick yeah. together, you know? Right. And, oh, yeah. And you, know, yeah. and, you know, my dad was let go from the Knicks in 1999. And it, it relates to this book because basketball for my family and the Knicks were my family for my family were so much more than you could probably even imagine because again, my dad came to this country as an immigrant, lost his yeah. brother. My grandparents are Holocaust survivors. Basketball in the NBA gave my family a new life, you know? So, so yeah. it was really even more emotional. And, and by the way, the team that he was fired for building went to the NBA finals that year. I know that. Right. Yeah. So like that was, yeah. we're, we're, of course it, it proved his moves, right. And it was, a, it was a yeah. great triumph, but that's a hard thing too. When you're watching the team, your dad built compete in the NBA finals, but he was fired a month and a half ago, you know, it's a, it was a tough thing to deal with. It, you're, it's the ultimate morality. It's the ultimate morality. It's it's a, it's an amazing, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's an amazing story because it, it all came full circle. Uh, basketball is a city game. Your dad dove in as a young kid, he plays for the Knicks, you know, runs the Knicks. And so you had all this myriad of emotions and experiences. That's right. hundred percent. And yeah. You know, for me in my pro career, <laughs> I went to NBA training camp with the Knicks. That's right. You know, and it was, it was, I, I, I write in the book, I had a bone spur this one summer. I couldn't, and I had a really great year the, the year prior. So I had NBA opportunities and the Nick opportunity was at the end of the summer and I was healthy and I played really well. And so I had a chance, you know, to put on my own Knicks jersey. So yeah, it's, it's the Knicks and New York city and, and the city game just mean a lot to my family and to the story. When, um, when did you really start? thinking that you could, I mean, you grew up around the game. Obviously you probably in Madison square garden as a kid shooting hoops when, you know, your dad's talking off to the side you're, the, you're probably the only guy in there in front of like 19,000 seats. I, I know you, <laughs> right. You're in there shooting hoops and you probably taking it for granted. I would imagine. Right. As a kid. I, I was, I was. <laughs> when did you get serious about the game? When, like, I obviously know, and I'm not talking about falling in love with the game because you grew up with the game, but as far as you as a player, when did you start to think, you know what? I want to do what my dad did. Yeah. So I'll tell you this. My birth was planned around the NBA schedule. So my dad was playing for the <laughs> Knicks and, yeah. and, you know, my parents wanted him to be there for my birth. And then eight days later for my bris, which is the Jewish ritual of circumcision on the eighth day of life. And he had two long road trips. So yeah. they planned my, you know, I had a C-section delivery. They planned it so he could be there for the birth, go on a road trip yeah. and then be there for my bris. And wow. actually friend, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Yeah. The road trip before I was born was in Texas. And it was the back-to-back -back games where Bernard had 50 on back-to-back -back oh. nights. Oh, and that's goodness. a legendary moment, right? So that yeah. happened. Yeah. I always think, I wonder what <laughs> my dad was more excited about. I hope my arrival, but I don't know. He was pretty excited to see <laughs> oh, Bernard get 50. Uh, oh. But so so that's all to say, like, I was I was born into the game. And, yeah. you know, my parents and my dad, like, they were amazing and never forced it on me. Ne never set expectations, always kind of told me you be what you want to be, you do what you like to do, or you love to do, but I love to play ball. And you know, what kid doesn't want to be like his dad. And so from my earliest recollections, I wanted to play in the NBA. And I remember even in school going around saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, an NBA basketball player, like what, yeah. what other option is there, you know? <laughs> uh, but listen, saying it and doing it is a much different thing. But as I kind of got older, and 
you know, I, I committed myself, I worked and it kind of just, you know, progressed from there. Yeah. How, how did you pick Stanford? I mean, obviously I could see why, any, why anybody would pick Stanford, but what was the decision to pick? And where, who, who would have been second or third choice? Like who, whose heart did you break? Yeah. So <laughs> my grandma, you know, lives 25 minutes from Stanford's campus when I was in seventh grade. Let me grade. ask you a question about that. If yeah. you don't mind, how, I, I, I'm fascinated by the fact that, and she's having, she's had a wonderful life so far. How did she get to the Bay area? Yeah. So they, you know, from Romania, they went to New York city where my dad kind of grew up in the States. Yeah. And then once my dad was out of the house in the NBA, they had friends out here in the Bay area who they visited and, you know, warm weather, beautiful pace of life. So they just, yeah. you know, took a chance, came out here and they've been out here ever since. So my, my grandmother has been here for 40 plus years. My grandfather passed away when I was yeah. young, um, yeah. but yeah, she, she's been out here and she lives very close to, to campus at Stanford. So when my older sister, Becky, who, you know, she yeah. was looking at colleges, we visited Stanford's campus. And again, me as a seventh grader and living in New Jersey, that was before really the internet. I didn't really know right. much about Stanford. I had heard of it, but man, yeah. I got on that campus. I said, okay, top basketball program, top school near my grandma, amazing weather. This is where I want to go. And so friend, from that moment, I was, I told people I want to play basketball at Stanford. So that, yeah. that was like a dream to me. And it, it, you know, like I was, I was just a kid who liked hoops. I, I wasn't that great or anything like that, but yeah, it just happened for me, man. It just, sometimes when, sometimes the, the universe kind of coincides for you. And I think that was, that was an example of it. So I always wanted to go to Stanford. Uh, Wisconsin was a school that I, I really liked. Bo Ryan was great. You know, I was yeah. in high school, in Milwaukee. My mom went there. They had a great yeah. program. And so if I really broke hearts, it was the university of Wisconsin, but I was upfront with people from the beginning that, Hey, my eyes are set on Stanford. And you would have been a good player at Wisconsin. You were kind of their kind of guy, tough, you know, smart, high IQ kind of yes. guy. So hundred well, percent. Yeah. Like, I wasn't a shot creator. I wasn't someone like give me the ball and just let me score, but I would score a lot and I would yeah. figure it out, but it had to be, it had to be in the flow, you know? And um, there was uh, you know, some, some blue collar nature to my game. Like, like my dad, like the butcher, you know, that's why yeah. I learned it. Yeah. It's funny if, if Bo would have turned you loose, if you were as good as your dad, you know, in the swing offense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, Who knows? You know, I, I always say that when we when we when we go to heaven, that God's gonna say, "Listen, it's nice here, but it's not Palo Alto." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, when I stepped on foot on campus, I'm like, "Is this for real?" And you know what's crazy? When you go there, you get used to it, you know, yeah. because you're there every day. But um, yeah. and like you said, I had the chance to go back and get my MBA, so I spent two more years on campus, and as yeah. a little bit older, a little bit more perspective. And yeah, for anyone out there who who hasn't visited uh, Palo Alto or Stanford's campus, I recommend it. It's such it a beautiful nice. place. Are you are you ultimately satisfied? You played eight years in Europe, and I want to ask you about a great story about playing in Germany because it's poignant. But uh, are you satisfied with your basketball career as you look back on it? You know what I I am yeah. because it's the best I could do. You know, and you kind of yeah. as you get older, you have like self compassion. You know, when you are yeah. motivated and determined, and I write about this very honestly in the book. I struggled uh, with you know my basketball career was always filled with tension. You know because. Yeah you know, my dad was a great player. You want to live up to that, but also because of my family's history, because of, you know, what my grandma went through, what my dad went through, what my ancestors and relatives weren't able to go through. You know, there were so many that were killed or my uncle passed away. I always felt this obligation, you know? So for me, success on the basketball court was so much bigger than it might've seemed, you know, because I I felt like I had a lot of weight on me. And so, yeah, it it did weigh me down. And, but ultimately looking back, I did the best I could. I had a hell of a run. You know, I was the second leading scorer in the Pac-10. 
and it yeah. uh, projected as a first round pick in the draft. And when I tore my ACL, so like I had my moment, uh, yeah. but you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for it because uh, it, it was the best I could do. And it, it changed my life. Just the people I met, the skills I developed, you know, it was, it was a beautiful journey, but it was not without its kind of friction. You know, one, one basketball question. I noticed like you got hurt at the end of your junior year and you were rolling, man. Mm -hmm. uh, you were really rolling. I think you missed the NCAA tournament that year. Uh, we actually made it. We were an eight seed. You, you made it, but uh, but uh, you, you didn't. Oh, I it. missed it. That's right. Yeah, I yeah. went. I got hurt twenty two games into the year, so we had six yeah. Pac ten games left. And yeah, it was it was terrible. I was averaging eighteen points, five and a half boards. You know, it was, it was happening for me. And hey, that's what life is. Just like yeah. that, things changed. Yeah, my son Matt, same thing. Third game of his senior uh, junior year at Harvard. When the other guy had the ACL and he was going to be playing a lot, he tears his ACL. Uh, no, it's, it's part of worst part of sports, you know, the, uh, I, I, well, and not to make it, uh, I can remember there was a black cloud over the family's head for about a month or two. And I'm sure your dad consoled you, but he probably had to be devastated too for you. He was. And I write about all this in the book. He flew out for my surgery. Um, and, and someone asked me, you know, about how my grandmother approached it because what she had been through, listen, you can't compare life or death with a knee right. injury. Right. And yeah. And I tell you, know, my grandma has never once in her life referenced her experience in relation to something that was going on with me. She's yeah. the one first and foremost who felt so terrible. Even to this day, she says, I, I don't like to talk about it yeah. because it was so heart wrenching. You know how it is as a parent and as a family yeah. and something this meaningful for, for a kid. It, it was it was devastating. But I will tell you something my grandma said that night because we went out, we had dinner, you know, and my knee, I had a big knee brace on. It's a very emotional thing. And she, exactly. you know, she calls me Tatala, which is like a Yiddish term of endearment, yeah. you know, and she said, you know, Tatala, if this is the worst thing that ever happens to you in your life, you're going to be okay. Right. You know, and, and that was a really great perspective, but it wasn't to say that I shouldn't mourn this, this, you know, trauma that I had, or I shouldn't feel bad, but you should also keep the perspective that in the scheme of things, like you're going to be all right. And I was. Yeah, and and this, this ties it back to your grandmother and and really the the, the poignancy of your book. How when did you like at what at what stage of your life did you really feel the weight of the family story? Like it couldn't have been at, at eight or nine, I don't think. When did it happen that you like you know you talked about basketball and the pressure of you being like your dad, but the pressure of what your family went through. At what stage of your life did it really like hit you between the eyes? It was early. It was early. And, early. you know, kids are intuitive and perceptive, you know, and so you don't know every detail, but you have a sense, you know, and, yeah. you know, I knew I'm named after my uncle, you know, my middle name is Leslie and his name, his name was Lutzi Hungarian, but in English, right. Leslie. And so, you know, I knew my dad had lost his brother and, and basketball had come along and I knew that my grandmother and my grandfather lost so much family. And I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's something that really kind of sticks with you. And I write in the book, I had a nervous tick in my eyes as like an eight, nine-year-old because there was so much that I was kind of fighting for. And I think yeah. that, family part, that family history was part of it. But as I got older, it became a bigger part of it as I learned more about it. Yeah, and, and now this is where uh, you're like, you, you have this great career at Stanford. You have a chance to play overseas and you had to, your first really good job offer overseas was in Germany. Uh, and yeah. obviously the, 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 the historical perspective of that, what your family went through and you asked your grandmother for permission to, to sign I a did. contract. Yeah. Well, you know, I graduated from Stanford, knew I was going to get an opportunity overseas, but didn't quite know where, uh, but was really excited. And, you know, my agent called me and said, I, I have a great opportunity for you. And I was ecstatic. I said, great. Where are we going? You know, he said, it's in Germany. 
I said, okay, well, th that's great. But give me a minute. I need to talk to my grandma. And that's the first, first thought in my mind. And first thing I did, wow. you know, I called her and I, you know, I call her on you and I said, on you, you know, I have an opportunity to start my professional career. And she said, Mazel Tov, that's so amazing. And I yeah. so yeah, but there's a problem, you know, it's in Germany. And she said, what's the problem? You know? And I said, well, I, I thought you might not be okay with that. And yeah. she said something to me that I'll never forget. She said, Tatala, sons are not responsible for the sins of their fathers. Wow. You know, she said, wow. you don't, you don't blame this generation for what yeah. another generation did. You go, you enjoy yourself, learn about the world, play basketball. And that's what I did. I had a great experience in Germany. Uh, it's interesting because my best friend on the team was a German national team player, my age. And, you know, we got very close and we talked about what my family had been through, but also Man. what his, his family's role, right. Cause his ancestors were on the other side and how much guilt sure. his generation feels about that. So for me, and, and again, this is the book, right. It's interweaving the history and basketball and how it all brings it together. But, you know, to, to start my career in Germany and then but also for my family's story to kind of come full circle there around with the yeah. Holocaust and that reconciliation was yeah really really meaningful and profound. When you when you when you were talking to your teammate, it, it had to be a, a, a surreal experience that you were on, you know, because of what your family journey was like, and, and what your grandmother said to you about the, the next generation. It had to be surreal that you were talking to your teammate about this stuff. It, it was. It was. It was. It was. It was meaningful and. So we, we played in Nuremberg that year. And, you know, that was the site of these, these infamous rallies, million plus Germans. And, yeah. you know, we, our, our team bus, we drove by the, the rally grounds and one of our coach, our assistant coaches was Germany kind of talked about it. And, you know, I, I looked at that space and just could see in my mind what was happening there and, and yeah. who was there. And it, it's, it was, you know, it's chilling and it was, you know, it's, it's shocking, but ultimately, you know, it, it was, you know, coming to terms with that history. You how 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 important was it that or how ironic and, and, and meaningful was it that you you ended or played much of your European career in Israel? Yeah, it, it was it was amazing. I mean, I played in the Maccabiah Games in 2009, which yeah. is like the Jewish Olympics. Bruce Pearl yeah. was our coach, the amazing yeah. Bruce Pearl. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, so won the gold medal there, and you know, and it was such a it was yeah, it meant so much because when my dad and our family fled Romania they had passports to go to Israel. You know, yeah. it was really Israel that opened up its arms to people, to Jews after the Holocaust, sure. you know, and, and at the last minute, my family had the opportunity to come to the United States, but the majority of our family went to Israel. And so to be able to kind of connect with, with that land and that, that country to be with the family there uh, was so meaningful. So I knew that I wanted to, you know, end my career there. And that's what I did. I played four years, two in Herzliya, which is like the nicest city in Israel. Yeah. Fran, yeah. I, when you go see Maccabi Tel Aviv, just take a 15 minute ride to, to Herzliya and get some food on the beach. Like it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then I played two years in Jerusalem too, which, you know, as the, the capital of, you know, of the, the religious world, not only Judaism, but every religion, yeah. right. It's like the cradle of civilization. That was just amazing. It's amazing. All right. A couple more things, man, because you've been so kind. Um, let me make sure I get this uh, by the grace of the game is right. the title of the book and I can't wait to read it. And I, I'm, I'm getting chills just talking to you about this. Um, I, as someone who loves history, I, I learned about Raul uh, Wallenberg recently that the real story of Raul Wallenberg, who I guess was never found again. Once he went to a Russian prison, by the way, that's an amazing story in itself. That's right. um, but Raul Wallenberg was a Swedish diplomat who saved thousands of Jewish lives and your family is interwoven with Raul Wallenberg. Anybody who's listening to this, 
who wants to know the history of what happened during World War II and the, and the, the Holocaust, et cetera, needs to know who this man is. Movies made about him, books written. Tell me how your family was interwoven with this incredible uh, man. Yeah, Raoul Wallenberg is, is regarded as one of the greatest heroes of the Holocaust. And actually the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., which I would, anyone listening, please visit. It's such a moving, important experience. But the street outside of the Holocaust Museum is Raoul Wallenberg Way. You know, that's how important he is to that history. And so he, he was a Swedish diplomat who went to Budapest to save Jews. And my grandmother was on the run in Budapest. And so he issued protective passports. And my grandmother got one for herself, but she also risked her life. And she got 17 others for, wow. for people, which she distributed around the city. And so that was, you know, through that passport, my grandmother had a little bit of a protection for some time. But, but after a while, it was no longer recognized because of a, a change in government. And I'll tell you this quick story because it's, you know, one that I'll never forget. And I, I tell it in the book. You know, my grandmother was eventually caught by the Nazis. She was thrown in jail and then in the Budapest ghetto. And at, at the end of the war, uh, and she was in the ghetto with her brother. And the Nazis stayed outside of the ghetto. But at the end of the war, she saw 20 Nazis come into the ghetto with machine guns over their shoulder and right. shoulders. And word quickly spread that they were going to kill the 80,000 remaining people. Can you imagine, right? 80,000. Wow. Wow. And so my grandma and her brother ran up to an attic and they hid and nothing happened. And they waited for five minutes and 20 in an hour. And eventually they were liberated. And my grandma never knew. She just knew that they were free. And that was enough, you know? But yeah. uh, so that was in 1945. In 1985, well, they were already in the Bay Area. My dad was a basketball star. A, a movie was made about Raul Wallenberg's life and Richard Chamberlain played Wallenberg. And yeah. in that movie, the end of the movie, you see this, you know, the Budapest ghetto and the Nazis walk in uh, to, to kill all these people. Wallenberg gets in his car, races to the gates of the ghetto, begs and pleads with the commander and tells him, if you kill these people, you're a murderer, you'll hang for this, the war is over. And he convinces the general to call off the massacre. So it took my grandma 40 years to learn that Wallenberg saved her life twice during wow. the war. That's amazing, and, man. That's and I'll tell you one thing, like he's a symbol in my family because he, he wasn't Jewish. He was just someone who kind of stood right. up for what was right. So he, he yeah. is a true hero. And um, you know, my grandma's always talked to me about the importance of, you know, when you, when you see people not being treated fairly, you need to speak up against that because we needed people to speak up for us at one time and there weren't enough voices, you know? So yeah. Wallenberg is the ultimate example of that, of, you know, of what being a hero, being an ally really means. Yeah. That's amazing. That when I, when I, when I heard, uh, uh listening to you tell the story about Raul Wallenberg, I, I had been, I, I had, uh, I, I had seen something recently where when at some, some point the Ru Russians, Soviet Union, I guess at that time, they put him in prison. No one's ever, they, he died in, in a Soviet prison more than likely. Yeah. Never seen. Yeah. And he lost his life. You know, right. he risked his life. He lost his life yeah. to, to save others. And yeah, yeah, never heard from again, presumed, yeah. presumed dead. It's yeah. He's, uh, interesting here. You know, this is like a, there's so many, like, uh, this is like, this is like Forrest Gump of basketball and history here. Cause there's so many things that I, I haven't even asked you about your dad playing for Dean Smith in the Olympics. So I'm going to have to read it in the book. Oh, but, it, uh, it's all in there. And John, by the way, John Thompson from Georgetown was the assistant. Yes. Yeah. And Bill Guthridge. So re really, you know, very strong staff, but my dad learned a ton from Dean Smith still to this oh. day, tell stories about like what leadership you know, really means. And wow. uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience for him. Well, it, I'm yeah. Did, I could, I want to ask you about, I want to ask you about Ray Allen because oh, I remember back three, four, five years ago, I remember reading the article that Ray Allen um, was fascinated by Auschwitz 
And, and apparently what happened was because his owner, Herb Cole, was was Jewish, mm -hmm. um, uh, Ray went to visit him one summer. And he was a senator from Wisconsin, uh, as well as the owner of the Bucks. But Ray went to visit him one summer and and Herb Cole took him to the uh, Holocaust Museum. And Ray Allen just is intrigued and fascinated by this horror. And the next thing you know, he's he's writing a forward to your book. And I know your dad had a connection with him because of the Bucks, but that's amazing. Tell, tell me that story. Yeah, so I tell people, you know, we all know what a great player Ray was, top 75 player in NBA history. He's a better human being. And I mean that, like I admire, I've, I admired him so much as a player, you know, growing up, but even as a person, it's just unbelievable. And so, yeah, as you said, like the Holocaust education, Holocaust remembrance has become a mission for Ray. And he, the way he looks at it, which is amazing, is it's not just a Jewish tragedy, it's a human tragedy. You yeah. know, and, and we all need to know that this happened so it can never happen again to anyone, not just to Jews, to anyone. And so every time his team played in D.C., he would take teammates to the museum. Yeah. You know, he was appointed to the board of the museum uh, by President Obama. He's taken trips to Auschwitz, you know, where my grandparents were killed, my great grandparents were killed. Uh, and so when I, you know, connected with him and, and told him about the book, what was really interesting, you know, my dad was the GM of the Bucks when Ray was a young player, you know, so Ray used to give me shoes and talk to me about my game, you know, so I've known Ray for a long time. Yeah, um, he, we've spent, you know, he's been to our house, but he had no idea that my dad's parents were both survivors because, you know, my dad's so close to that trauma. It's not something he talks about much. So when wow. I told Ray, hey, yeah, like I'm right, you know, this book is I'm writing this book. It's about basketball, the Holocaust. He, he didn't hesitate. You know, and for someone like Ray Allen, who has every opportunity in the world, who's so busy, so in demand for him to put his himself behind my story, my family story means the world. It just speaks to the, the human being he is. He's amazing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It really is. Hey, uh, Danny, I could ask you literally 100 more questions, but here's <laughs> the great news. By the grace of the game is the book. Uh, mm -hmm. And so anybody who's been intrigued with this, you know, 45 minutes you've given us, you're going to be blown away. I have a feeling by all the things in this book. I can't wait to read it. Um, your story is amazing. What's the, the last thing is what's the lesson that you want people to learn from your book? Yeah. You know, it's about hope and there's a lot of really hard things that, that we discuss because these, these are difficult things that happen, but ultimately it's a hopeful story, you know? And I think we all as human beings want something to believe in. And so when you see a family who, survived the Holocaust, fled communism, lost, lost the son, but then stayed together, persevered, found a game, lived yeah. a full life. Like that gives us something to believe in, you know, and I've always felt that in my life, you know, it's given yeah. me inspiration and hope, you know, so that's, you know, I want people to laugh, you know, I want people to cry. I want people to think like it's the full spectrum of emotions, but you know, yeah. at the end of the day, I want people to feel inspired and hopeful because that's what I've always felt, felt from this story. Yeah, man, I can't wait. I can't wait to read it. I, I wish you all the success. I'm going to promote it for you on Twitter. Talk the about best, it. Man. No, no, it's amazing. And and again, I could. I'm so excited because I could ask. I, we could be talking. I could talk to you for three hours about <laughs> likewise your, your dad and all the things that your family's been through. So uh, we can't thank you enough. And uh, we we're just excited that you came on World of Basketball today. It was it was awesome, friend. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Many thanks to Dan Grunfeld. I told you you'd be moved, and that was just uh, amazing stuff. The, the book is called By the Grace of the Game. You can get it anywhere books are sold. Remember, if you're enjoying what we're doing on World of Basketball, season two, 
We're into the ep- we're up we're up into the close to seventy episodes now. Please rate and subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a positive review. Uh, remember, you can always go on the SXM app to listen to this podcast or many of the first nearly 70 podcasts we've recorded. It's a great way to keep up with basketball. I'm a podcast listener. I get on my uh, treadmill every day and throw something in on the SXM app and uh, uh, do that for us. But rate and subscribe. And, uh, and again, I hope you enjoyed this amazing conversation with Dan Grunfeld. And with that, as I promise you, every week, I am going to bring you uh, some place in my world of basketball. Remember, World of Basketball is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Chris Tyler. The producer is Denny Gallagher. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. And a very special thanks to Sirius XM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming, Steve Cohen. Serious XM Podcasts.